Good morning, day or night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Survive Inner Drive podcast. Today we are discussing the Dutch Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. So, Alex, pretty entertaining race there. What'd you think? Yeah, for a Zandvoort race, I thought that was pretty good. I think, especially with expectations coming in, uh, based on, you know, last week we it looked like and it felt like a track that Red Bull would just run away with and we have a pretty boring race and that's kinda how it was last year too with not a lot of passes, but saw a lot of action on the track, a couple safety cars, virtual safety cars, just a lot of a lot of dra- a lot more drama than I thought there was gonna be. Yeah, I felt like maybe the, the qualifying order was gonna be a little bit more mixed up or there was gonna be a little bit more hype going into the actual racing, but ended up being a, a pretty simple race start and in the beginning of the race and then we got a little action at the end of the race so uh, i'll let you go ahead and run through we'll start with uh, the finishing order and and get into what happened in the race after that yeah so we had max p1 russell p2 and charles p3 to round out the podium uh, then we had hamilton perez alonzo norris signs Ocon, and stroll rounding out the points uh, and then just outside the points we had gasly albon mick vettel magnuson zoe ricardo and latifi And then for the DNFs this weekend, we had Valtteri Bottas ending the race with an engine issue and Yuki Tsunoda with a a pretty odd DNF. He uh, stopped on the side of the road, started up again after talking to the team, went into the pits, came back out of the pits, and then decided to park it up and end his race. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit and the implications that that had on the eventual race ending and, and finishing order. But a really odd one from him and kind of unfortunate. You know, he was looking really good in qualifying and uh, was able to get into Q3, outscore or outrace, uh, outpace Gasly, which is uh, a pretty impressive feat from him. And, you know, he, he's recently been on form and looking pretty good, looking like he might have a seat at that team. Yeah, I feel like he's been pretty unlucky in the races, but it seems like in the last few qualifyings at least and in the race up until the point where he's had a DNF, he's looked pretty good and been back on form and closer to Gassi, which I think is the most important thing. But, um, yeah, he was looked like he was on for points today. It was, like you said, a really odd DNF that we'll kind of get into later. But yeah. great qualifying from him. Um, you know, I think if we if we look at qualifying in whole, I think uh, a little surprising kind of. I know it was, wasn't too mixed up in terms of the order, but the, the pace the Mercs had this weekend was pretty unbelievable. I Actually, based on the last week, I thought they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be there, but legitimately fighting for pole this weekend and i think we still got to see a couple surprises you know both the alpines out in q2 was a little surprising they've seemed like they've been pretty consistent for q3 and then uh you know some of the just more disappointing ones you had you know bodice out in q3 and then ricardo out in q3 when lando or out in q1 when you know norris made it all the way to q3 i think that's that was tough yeah one thing i wrote down while i was watching qualifying and especially after q1 and and well into the rest of uh, qualifying was passing of the baton question mark because it seemed yeah. like uh, everybody that went out in Q1 is is the more senior driver of the team and it it really felt like with you know especially Mick and you oh, know yeah. eventually Sonoda out qualifying Gasly but we had Stroll going up Mick uh, Norris and Joe all out qualifying their teammates um, Albon on Latifi but that's nothing new uh, but overall it just felt like you know, obviously it's one race and, and nothing to to really go for, but it was kind of that moment that I was like, huh, here we go with, with the younger guys, and we get to see them in some more um, intense battles, and especially in qualifying. I mean, we ended up with 
Nick Sonoda stroll rounding out the top 10 in Q3, which is pretty awesome to see. Yeah, I think uh, for me, the biggest takeaway from that was, was Mick out qualifying Magnuson the way he did. Yeah. Um, from the beginning of the season, really up until the last few races, it's always felt like Magnuson's kind of had that upper hand, and mm-hmm. he's been the one to put that Haas higher up than it should be. And he just had a disaster of qualifying. And Mick to it was pretty quiet Q3 entrance for Mick. I feel like they didn't really talk much about it, at least on yeah. F1 TV. They didn't mention much about it. And, you know, he just snuck in there and. Uh, I think P8 was probably the highest he's going to get, and that's what he got out of it. So yeah, definitely. that really impressed me. And then, like you said, Snowden Stroll, too. I think Snowden out qualifying Gasly, definitely a rare occurrence, it feels like. And mm-hmm. then same with Stroll out qualifying Vettel. Um, I know we'll kind of get into it later, but Vettel continuously qual- getting, going out in Q1 and then getting on the radio and being so angry about it and acting like he's so surprised that he went out in Q1 and that they didn't have the pace to get into Q2 is so funny. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a pretty constant theme. But yeah, like you said, a couple of drivers that we think are fighting for seats right now. Obviously, Mick and Haas are are thinking about it and having talks. But uh, leaving the Ferrari Academy is is new news, and uh, you know we'll see where he goes. It's good to see him having performances like this, and it's been kind of an interesting season in regards to him and Magnussen. Obviously, Magnussen started off with race one, throwing it up mid points and having a really good race and and looking really. Uh, good with the Haas in general and Mix slowly closed that gap and it seems like uh, he's been able to outperform Magnuson as of recently and uh, hopefully continues that trend and is able to to keep a seat in Formula One and then Sonoda obviously the same thing kind of fighting for that uh, position in the team and you know we've heard a lot of rumors about the the second seat there but definitely good to see them up in the points. We also saw you know a couple other things in qualifying that were Interesting points to touch on, obviously, uh, being at Zandvoort and the Orange Army. We saw a flare on track, which, yeah. when you think about it, I mean, it's bound to happen, but just, yeah. you know, brutal to see and absolutely ruined Albin's run plan and, and strategy in Q2. So, uh, you know, an unfortunate occurrence, and hopefully they do something about that. I don't I don't know how you felt about the flares overall race weekend, but... Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's expected there, and it seems like it's almost every track now that has them, those orange flares, but especially, you know, at Zandvoort and at Austria, it's a, a big thing, and yeah. I, I don't know how you stop it. Um, it is it is kind of annoying because it is, like, affecting the racers now. I feel like, at first, we were like, okay, like, you just feel bad for the fans because, like, they can't see, and I know a lot of them complain because they can't see during the race, but, like, when you start having to go on track and you're, like... A, legitimately affecting like qualifying results by throwing a flare onto the track. I feel like that's where some kind of line has to be drawn. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you police it. Cause like, other than, you know, check everyone when they come in, but there's so many ways to hide things that I, I just don't know if there's a way to get around it or if we're ever going to get out of that. But I don't know. I always feel like, and we've talked about this before it, I, I don't know how you stop it. It always does feel like it's a max fan problem. Like, yeah, I know at Austria a lot of the issues are caused, and obviously it's predominantly his fans there because it's a Red Bull track. But a lot of issues are caused by Max fans, and then you know here it's ninety five percent Max fans. Like they seem to be the one. I don't know. Like it's just the other tracks. Like like at Canada, you didn't see a stroll fan. Not there's many stroll fans, but like you didn't see anybody throw stuff on the track. Or at Great Britain, right? A bunch of British drivers. Like you didn't see anyone throw stuff on the track at Great Britain. Like I know we had the protesters on track, but that's like a different thing than you know, throwing flares during qualifying. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing. And going forward, we'll, you know, see if that becomes more of a talking point. But 
couple other things through qualifying, uh, very high track evolution. So really interesting to see different strategies from different teams. And then at the very end, we saw Sergio Perez spinning and uh, had big implications on the remainder of qualifying. Obviously, the Mercedes didn't get to put in their second lap in Q3. And they were looking really racy. And, you know, there was a, a good potential for them to put it top row, maybe out qualify the Ferraris and mix up that, that top grid there. Yeah, I think it's, it. you know, we had that last lap, obviously, that got affected with Perez kind of spinning off there at the end. But I know they were, at least through the first two sectors, where I don't think they were quite ahead of Max, but they were definitely on par with him. It was close. It wasn't like they were several tenths behind. So who knows what could have happened. Maybe they both qualify, you know, top three then, and it's a, you know, two, three for them or something. I don't know. But uh, just surprising to me that they brought, like, or whatever they did work this weekend compared to Spa last week. I know they said they got it wrong last weekend, but to be off 1.8 seconds or whatever it was last weekend and be fighting for pole this weekend is a pretty good turnaround. Yeah, very different track, and I think a lot of people expected Max and, and the Red Bull team to be a little bit further back and the Ferraris and Mercedes to be able to take that step forward. But, you know, to see the big three teams competing at such a close level, and yeah. I, I think it was something like six-tenths between the cutoff range for Q1 and it was it's just such a close qualifying and to see uh you know not only the top three teams but but the whole grid being that close and having such a tight battle it was really awesome to see this weekend yeah I think yeah like you said nature of the track where you don't you really just have that one long straight so there's really not an advantage you can get to having a faster car because I do know they talk about a lot I feel like a lot of the cars are through turns and stuff are pretty similar it's where you get the the long straights where it's like the top end speed of these cars is really the differentiating factor but yeah i think it was yeah like you said six tenths between first and 15th is definitely the closest qualifying we've had all season and i feel like it's one of those one of those tracks like you can get a crazy qualifying because of that yeah yeah and it was it was kind of unfortunate that that top didn't get mixed up as much as we were hoping for but you know, we started the race and, and we saw a little bit of contact, a little bit of craziness between Carlos and, and Hamilton with Hamilton kind of sticking a nose up in more of a defensive position rather yeah. than rather than going for an overtake. But uh, glad they were both able to get away cleanly. And then, um, you know, Norris passed, got past George and kind of started to get in the mix. Obviously, George was, was able to dispatch of him pretty quickly yeah. after. But um, we had a pretty clean start and everybody you know, started to get around pretty smoothly. There was a little bit of mix up in the back, but nothing too crazy until really, you know, the first set of pit stops. And there was the question of one pit stop or two pit stops. And then obviously the end of the race, we ended up with four and three three or four four for everybody. But yeah, I think, you know, the initial thought, and I know F1 TV is pretty good at this and predicting it. Usually they usually over predict, but they went with, two stops like the two that were projected on the screen there was no one stop option so obviously for anyone that didn't watch if there would have been no virtual safety car or safety cars we would have seen the mercs one stop and everybody else two stop at least um so definitely weird to see only one team pull that strategy yeah i feel like usually we see the alpines and maybe someone else try to do something like that but everybody pretty early committed to the two stop you know with especially with like max and some of them starting on the softs at the beginning of the race they were kind of committing to that early just because yeah. of the tire deg of this track, but I think it was it was interesting to see the how much longer the Mercs went on those first set of tires compared to everybody else. Yeah, and and they were able to still make them work, and it was pretty impressive for that. And I think a lot of teams were able to to 
take notes kind of off of the Mercedes pace and uh, be able to choose their tires off of that. But yeah, like you said, I mean, committing to the two-stop, we saw Alonzo committing pretty early and had a pretty aggressive strategy and ended up paying off for him. So uh, a pretty good race for him. But Signs was was quite the opposite. He came in for his first pit stop and uh, almost had to get off with three tires, which wasn't going to work out for him. Yeah, it was an absolutely brutal Sunday for Signs. Yeah. Um, take away all the unlucky things, the things out of his control. He didn't have great pace, so was he on for first or second place? Probably not, but definitely could shouldn't have been eighth. Uh, I know he fell because of the penalty, but. Just disaster weekend from them. That that first pit stop, they brought him in, and they were not ready at all. Completely missing one wheel, like you said, and uh, trying to send him out in three wheels, basically. But he had, I think it was like a 12-second stop then. And then during that as well, Perez had the two-second stop, which yeah. was the fastest of the season. And the Ferrari guys also just left a wheel gun in the middle of the road that Perez couldn't avoid and had to run over. So he broke their wheel gun, too. So not only did Sainz have a 12-second stop, but also one of the wheel guns broke just just disaster and it's these kinds of races that make make us think back to the question that we had in our feature episode about predictions for the second half of the season and summary for the first about the question of if ferrari's car was mercedes and the mercedes team were able to capitalize on what ferrari's car has been able to do would they be winning the championship and and obviously we both went with yes there and you know, we see Mercedes double stack and get that pulled off in 12 seconds. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the double stack was that was definitely the most impressive set of pit stops. Beautiful. From this entire season. They cleanly got in and out. No, no one was slow at all. Like it was a nice 2.5 or both of them or whatever it was. Like, yeah. Got it done completely faster than Sainz was in one stop. And so, like, we said yes to it before, and it's just been proved again this week that, yes, I think they would be in first. It's, it's. I feel bad for for Carlos and Charles because it seems like it's if if it's not both of them, it's at least one of them that's yeah. having problems every race and just no. I mean, even some of the radio calls that went in with Charles this week, like they'd be like, "Oh, we're there's no like the one that went." I remember was like, "There's no way we're gonna be able to do Plan C." Yeah, and like I don't know what Plan C was, but I I know then F1 TV like they were talking that they thought it was like soft to medium, like one stop. And the guys were like, how would they make a medium last 50 laps here? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. But Yeah, it's it's been an interesting question. And obviously, we've heard the transparency over the team radio. And like, why is there a need to tell the driver that, that it's not a possible strategy? Like, Yeah, exactly. Uh, between like, the, the driver having the experience to, to know that potentially or just being, hey, we're not doing that because we're going to do this. Like, why exactly. why do you have to mention that? You can't pull off that strategy at this point. Exactly, and then just the well, we had it more last week, but then almost like like getting the approval of the drivers. Like, what do you think about this? So like, we're thinking this. Like, question. Like, it's yeah. it, it's just like a bad look because you can't be asked. Like, they're trying to race out there, and you're asking them all these long paragraph questions about what the strategy is going to do, so that you don't look bad at the end. And then we'll get into it later. But you know, Bonotto is continuing to be like, we're not making mistakes. Like. It's just happening. Like we just make like, how long will he continue to admit? You know, like my question is like, how how deep of a hole does he dig himself before like it's too deep? He's starting to to come out and say, you know, we have an issue here, we have an issue there, but it's there's just been so many issues that we've seen and just a lack of desire to address them from from him and the team in general is kind of 
interesting to follow. I mean, obviously you can't be mad at, at Charles making the podium, but you know, with the pace that that car really has, they, they ought to be doing better, especially after a two, three qualifying. Uh, if we look a little further into the race, I think the action really started to happen when Sonoda ended up doing that pull off, pull on pit, unpit, oh, yeah. retire kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like we said, very interesting from, from Sonoda, not really sure what the issue was. Um, ended up talking to the team and figuring that out. But, um, you know, he, he was looking really good throughout the race, like we talked about earlier, his good qualifying. He was running uh, 11th when this all started and, you know, not a bad position to be in, but uh, had had bigger implications on the other drivers. So we saw some pit stops be triggered after that, and we saw Max and the Mercedes come in, and um, and then we saw signs again coming in and having an unfortunate release into one of the Alpines and, and kind of ruined, obviously ruined the end of his race, dropping him a few, especially with the safety car that we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. I think, uh, that, that first safety car Sonoda, very interesting. It definitely, that's where everything kicked off. Um, because up until that point, uh, you know, you saw the Mercs on the hards doing the one stop and they were gonna, at that point they were, and they did come out ahead of max, uh, based on the pit times, but I don't know when they were going to pit max, but they kept, the Mercs were getting enough time to where, like, the gap would have... It would have been interesting to see if that safety car doesn't happen. How far ahead is Lewis and George? And can George defend enough to get Lewis to win, basically? Yeah. I think it would have been interesting. So I know there's been a bunch of drama on... It's probably worth discussing on, on Twitter about it and about, basically, a lot of people blaming Red Bull for doing this, and specifically one person Red Bull, which I thought was a little weird. I think... I feel like it's more of... Like, when I first saw it, I jokingly texted... Because it is really interesting if, for those of you that watched, like the timing of it, where Max is really starting to lose ground in the two Mercs. The Mercs look so quick on the hards. Sonoda, not the first instant. Sonoda comes out on track, slows down, stops. Fine, whatever. But he comes back into the pits. They're fixing his car. They're, they both like reach in and try to fix his car, and they're doing it for like thirty seconds. Yeah. And then they go to the onboard for him, sending him out of the pits, and he's like stuttering out of the pits. So I thought, oh, he's going to stop in the pits. They're like, no, it's fine. Go on track. And then he stops as soon as he gets on track. So it is like a really, I, I don't think it obviously was on purpose, but it is a really interestingly timed safety car from the Red Bull Junior team. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the greatest look. And I mean, even in qualifying, we had Perez spinning out and kind of denying the Mercs the exactly. chance to, yeah. to so a, a lot of luck for Max and yeah, able to capitalize on the unfortunate events of others. But yeah, that definitely had a big impact on on the race and especially the lead. But we saw, you know, some other highlights with Alonso driving through the field after that early pit stop, um, just ha- having a pretty good strategy and, and having the pace during the race. Yeah. And then we saw Vettel having an interesting occurrence with Hamilton and, and Perez. We saw Hamilton able to get past Perez and, and start to make some advances toward the top of the field. But Vettel came out of the pits and was very clearly warned that the two of these drivers oh, yeah. were coming up on the back of him. And uh, instead of getting out of the way for blue flags, he you know, stuck it right on the racing line and, and held up Hamilton. It almost looked like Perez was going to be able to get around him, around Hamilton again. But Hamilton was able to hold on to the position after Vettel finally kind of slowed down off to the side. But just a really interesting occurrence there. I was kind of surprised that Vettel didn't get any talking to for that yeah i'm surprised he didn't get a penalty or anything it was, i know he was investigated but it was really weird because they did 
after the race show the onboard, and he was very clearly warned, like, you're going to come out right with them. Yeah. And it is going to be blue flags. So, like, common sense to tell you, especially a guy like Vettel, like, just let him go past and then insert behind him. You'd snag some DRS off of him, like, you know, fall behind him with a slipstream. Like, it would actually work out good. He comes out of the pit lane. Not only does he come out in front and not slow down, after he gets in front, then it, it they were talking about on F1 TV, it looked like he, like, went super slow like on purpose yeah i don't know what he was doing and he went through that that turn three the bank turn so slow and both lewis and checo are on the radio like screaming like why is this guy not getting blue flags and then he lets both of them by and it you know went on his regular business but it really, was really weird from someone that like isn't a rookie driver that he, it was like he was just totally unaware that these two guys are behind him yeah and it ultimately had an effect on hamilton he lost you know almost three seconds yeah. within those two laps so uh, you know, he didn't luck out with that at all. But, you know, going further on, we saw Bottas end up stopping on track with an engine issue, and that kind of triggered another round of, of pit stops. And so we saw Max going in and George going in, both for softs, knowing that, you know, 12, 12 laps left when they actually resumed racing after the safety car. But, you know, the field comes back together with a safety car, and so it put Hamilton under a lot of pressure, and he knew that. So that ended up setting up Max and George for a, a pretty good run on him. And an interesting restart from Hamilton, I think, could have taken some notes from George from the beginning of the season with his safety car restarts, but uh, ended up giving Max and the rest of the field a pretty long toe going into the race restart. Yeah, it was really weird from, I think, a lot of us thought and the commentators thought too that, like, he should just take it all the way to the line, go real slow, and then just gun it. Yeah. Because the, once you get to the line, the run to turn one is so short, he could have stayed ahead. And once you get through turn one, it is impossible to pass until maybe turn 10 or 11. But usually it's the DRS straight, right? Like, Max probably isn't getting past or past him until the DRS straight because he's going to have to fight off people behind, too. Like, George is right behind. Yeah. And so the interesting thing during that, during that safety car was because of where Bada stopped, it actually everyone came through the pit lane for one of the laps. And so that's when George just made the call, because I think they were going to both stay out. George made the call himself to go onto the sauce as he comes in the pit lane, sneaks in, moves back from second to third on the sauce end. But, um, you know, I think it begs the question, like, what, what should Mercedes have done? Either way, one of them was going to get screwed. The only thing we thought of that could have been done is keep them both out and then kind of like what Signs was told to do in Silverstone, have George, like, get a 10-car gap to basically hold Max back. But I think either way, Max is going to pass both of them, so... I don't know. I don't really know if you can blame Murph because it's like, all right, let's leave the one guy out in front so we at least have a, a fighting chance here. But yeah, the safety car restart was really weird from Lewis. He started it so early and then just gave them a toe the entire way and then got passed right away and just kind of fell back from there. But the other interesting thing I think from that that safety car was where Bada stopped. You know, we had a potential signs incident as well where you know him and Ocon are fighting down that straight. Yeah. Um and kind of going back and forth and it was pretty close and who was ahead and who was behind. And then, you know, a lot of people thought potentially signs might get a penalty for passing under a yellow flag, but decided that he wasn't ahead at the time when it happened. But I think that once that safety car happened with Bottas, I think prior to that, when they, you know, all came in pit for the Snowda one, I think the Mercs still had a good chance. Once that safety car, once a full safety car happened, and it wasn't a VSC and that gap closed at that point, it's like, you know, there's no way Max is going to get past these guys. Yeah, there was kind of the question of, you know, do they take the soft tires and try and have a, a pretty equal fight with Max, or do they go for, you know, track position and, and try to just hold that? And yeah, obviously the, the decision that they went with with Hamilton ended up resulting in 
him sliding down the order just a little bit. So, you know, you can't fault him for trying something that, that may have ended with a win or, or who knows what happens. But, uh, yeah, Hamilton wasn't very happy with that. So Yeah, I do think it does support our theory. I know we've talked about it on our future episode, but, you know, will Merck win a race? Will Lewis win a race? Um, I don't think it's going to be Monza because of the way the track is, but I do think what the races that are left and stuff and them getting kind of back on the form this weekend, it's, I think it's bound to happen at some point. Yeah. I think for them, they looked better than Checo and they looked better than the Ferraris this weekend. Right. So, and I think that's, that could be the theme the rest of the season is they're kind of two and three. And so is, can they capitalize on that race? Or is there going to be a race where Max DNS or get some damage maybe on lap one and, has or like an instant like Silverstone where he can't really keep pace up. Like, can they capitalize on that? And I think the will, win will come then if that happens. But I think this weekend showed from them, even though strategy was a little questionable at the end, that like they did have the pace. And especially if you look at the, I know Max got fastest lap, but if you look at the fastest lap times, they're all within a tenth. So it was like Max, George, Lewis, and one, two, three for fastest lap, and it was all within one tenth. So they did have the pace. It was just you know, can they capitalize on if Max, if and when Max makes a mistake? Yeah. And, you know, if we, if you missed that episode, go check it out. But, you know, a little taste, I, I went with Brazil that I think they end up getting that win. And uh, you went with Abu Dhabi Abu for Dhabi. that, I believe. Yeah. Go check that podcast out to, to hear our reasoning for that. But I, I think it is definitely kind of bound to happen at this point. And, you know, they're having an off race here, but very much on races. And, you know, all it takes is one Max slip up or one, you know, bad pit stop for that to occur, really. And I, I think there's pretty good odds that that happens this season. Yeah, I agree. I think it is it is funny looking at it that I feel like it's kind of flipped where you have a lot of people now like being like, oh, it'd be nice to see like Lewis win one again, even though like he's won so much and it's so opposite of these past couple of years. But I think just getting that third team in there and fighting and having more teams fighting up front is good. But uh, speaking of Lewis, getting into our top drivers of the weekend, I don't know if you want to start there. Yeah, definitely. So Hamilton's one of mine, and I think he's he's just had he's been on form recently. You know, qualifying has all been great. He's been out qualifying Russell pretty consistently recently, and was able to put it up in fourth out qualifying Perez, and then you know working his way through the race, having some of the the best pace on the grid really, and you know was looking on for the win for a while there, and had some unfortunate luck with the safety cars, but overall a really great race. I think you know should have definitely been on for the podium there but um you know he's got to be happy with the form that they've been uh, having recently and and hopefully we'll be able to take advantage of that eventually so uh you know great races to keep our eyes out for and hopefully that top six can be in the battle for you know not only podiums but for some variance and wins after the four that max are running on right now yeah i agree i think hamilton has been um especially this weekend i know they had kind of unlucky at the end but Pace-wise, if not the best, was the second best in terms of the race, right behind Max. And it is fu- kind of funny to see, like, if we look back at last year, when Merck has brought a car, so you look at, like, Silverstone, you look at this one, you look at maybe even Hungary, you could say, like, in the actual race itself, like, it, it's almost like last year where, like, Max and Lewis are, like, separating themselves again just in terms of, like, just race pace. Um, so I do think, like, like we talked about, I think that win will come, and I think he's continuing to get better with the car and adapt to it more. And I know he's talking about, they don't want to, you know, they want to try to start focusing on next year and, you know, doesn't like this car and everything, but I do think they have gotten both of them, both him and George have gotten the most they could out of it. 
especially yeah. being 30 points behind for right now only. So um, I, I think it's a good pick. So speaking of Max and Lewis, I had Max as one of my drivers, top drivers for this weekend. Uh, just again, it's, it's an easy choice. He had a great qualifying. You know, I know in practice they looked a little rough, and I like we talked about, I think people expected them to be a little further back. And I certainly thought in qualifying we'd see the Ferraris and the Mercs kind of duking it out and Max be a little further down. But uh, it, just a, another great quality from him and then a great performance in the race. He capitalized on the safety cars, like made the right strategy calls and just had great pace overall, got fastest lap and brought home maximum points again. So just another clean weekend from him. He continues to drive with no mistakes really, which I think is the biggest thing. And I know that's definitely what's helped him the most in this championship compared to years in the past is, uh, you know, they had those two DNS, but other than that, he's driven completely clean. Like he hasn't, you can't look at a race and be like, wow, Max like really messed that up or he screwed something up. Like it's just been clean racing. Yeah, and it's been impressive on, you know, just how consistent he can do that, especially looking at this weekend as a whole. You know, he had issues on, on FP1 and kind of FP2, didn't get a ton of running in, but was able to turn it on for qualifying and, you know, throws it up in P1 and takes pole and then just has a, a, a solid race outpacing the most of the field, uh, if not all of the field eventually. But, yeah, just a great race and 12 races now in the points. And the only one to rival that is is my next driver of the weekend, which is Alonzo, who's coming up on 10 now. And I think he, he had a good race. You know, the car is looking good recently, and he was able to kind of slice his way through the field and get up into sixth place this weekend. Yeah, it was good. I, I make jokes all the time, guilty of it, of calling him Trollonzo, where he qualifies P2 or P3, yeah. messes with the people at the front, and then ultimately falls back to P9 in the race. That was the opposite this weekend. I, I would give him full credit. I normally am a hater against him, but like he qualified low, didn't have a good qualifying performance. Neither of the Alpines did. Yeah. And he worked his way through the race, and you know, qualifying 13th as Anvort and finishing 6th is pretty impressive. I know he had some luck with the safety cars and stuff, but yeah. he had good pace in the race, and it was, it was nice to see him actually battle and fight with some of these cars, whereas in the past, I feel like we always saw him specifically like start higher up, and then... Not that he wasn't battling, but just kind of slowly fall back to the race and kind of not have much to talk about. So it was a great weekend for him. Yeah, and he, he had some unfortunate uh, happenings in the beginning of the season and, you know, some points yeah. that were, were kind of slipping through his fingers. A hundred, he said. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he'd be P2 in the drivers right now if he wouldn't have had those issues. Definitely. <laughs> but overall, you know, 10 races in a row that he's gotten points. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but the Alpines kind of just fit into that slot behind Norris and above kind of the rest of, yeah, rest you know, of the field. F2.0, whatever you yeah. want to call it. But <laughs> after that, you know, it kind of seems like Alonzo and Ocon are, are, you know, kind of fitting in that space. But this weekend he was able to, get ahead of Norris, ahead of signs after the penalty. So, you know, P6, a really good ending position for him. Yeah, I agree. I think he's – they Alpine continues to solidify themselves to me as the having the fourth best car. Yeah. But like you said, just in terms of the race, they were able to get ahead of Norris this weekend. And they, it, it kind of feels like we have those top six, which at this point feel like they can be any – like max and then two through five can be any order. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, seven, eight, nine has kind of been Norris, the Alpines, and then – a just a ginormous gap to the rest of the field yeah. where we see a new person in 10th place every weekend. Um, so that kind of goes to, to one of my drivers of the weekend, which is Stroll. Uh, so he qualified P10, which was unbelievable in that Aston Martin because it is so bad at qualifying. Yeah, Qualifies P10, 
And I thought, all right, he's qualifying P10. He'll fall back to 14th or 15th. Like, typically, doesn't not going to have much pace in race. Now, he held, through all the safety cars, all the drama, everything, he held P10 and finished with the points. So, I think a great weekend for him overall. Uh, you know, especially to do that against Vettel and just look. I mean, he stroll looked legitimately, not pacey, but he just looked consistent, right? Yeah. Like, he just had a clean race, and he didn't really make any mistakes and didn't go off, and it just was a good race weekend for him. Yeah, and that car's been interesting because it doesn't look like it's competitive at all. But, you know, recently especially, Stroll's been able to kind of carry it into the points. And, you know, not many points. He's finished 10th quite a few times. But uh, it's good to see him, you know, up there getting points and, and starting to be a little bit of a force in the midfield to backfield. Yeah, I agree. Um, for my next driver of the weekend, I went with Lando Norris, who, uh, you know, P7, obviously we talked about Alonso able to get past him, but still a great race. I mean, He's such a consistent driver when he's, you know, on form. Obviously, last weekend, not the race that they wanted. But after taking the penalties, he was still able to capitalize a little bit and move up the field. Uh, here this weekend, he qualified seventh, was able to, to finish in seventh, and just had a pretty solid race. I mean, you know, a little bit quiet, a little bit consistent like we were talking about. But, uh, you know, just outpacing Daniel Ricardo again by absolute miles and, uh you know, a really good driver prospect for the future and, you know, continues to bring home really good points for the team right now. Yeah, I think that's, I think the him to Ricardo comparison is the biggest takeaway from this weekend. I thought coming in with all the, and we'll get into this with just the announcements this week with Piastri and McLaren and kind of everything that's gone down. I thought Ricardo would come in, no pressure, no stress, like, hey, we're just going to have fun these last couple of races, like, see what we can do. Just totally off on pace, you know, qualified 10 spots down below Norris and then uh, in the race itself finished 10 spots down. And like you said, Norris just been so consistent. He lives in that P7 position. I think it's like of the races he's finished in the points, like the last five of them have been P7. So, yeah, uh, like you said, a great future prospect. I think if they can get a better car under him, he can compete up there. I think he has the talent for it, but it's just, you know, is he going to be forever stuck in a car that's fourth or fifth best just finishing seventh? So. My last driver of the weekend, uh, I had Russell. I think he is another guy that just had another great, consistent performance. Uh, finally broke his streak, actually, of P3 to P5 and finished P2 this week. There you go. Uh, so an improvement, actually. But just so consistent this season. Uh, you know, he made that call himself to go into the softs, and it worked out. Got P2, finished, I think, four seconds behind Max. So I know there was a safety car that brought him closer, but they did have legitimate pace all weekend. He was right there in the fight with, with Lewis and Max kind of for that win for most of the race. So, uh, just, you know, driving clean and continuing to put in top five performances. Like, yeah, I don't, I, you can't really ask for much more from a guy's first year in the team. Like obviously he wanted to be winning races, but with the car they have, he's giving the best performance possible every single weekend. Yeah. And, and speaking of, you know, Mercedes and that lineup that they got just one of our team highlights for the weekend, you know, that that car really found its pace this weekend and was able to really compete like we were hoping for out of the summer break, you know, able to put it two and four, which is pretty impressive. And they were even looking on for the win, like we were talking about earlier. So really good prospects for them. And even though they're moving to next year's car, hopefully going to be able to kind of stay in that hunt up top. Yeah, I agree. I think just continued progress from them. It's just been good to see that they kind of rebounded after last week, and I know they said they got it wrong, and maybe the track just didn't fit the car, but uh, it's just been good to see them continue to get. It's really tiny, but a little closer every single weekend, and 
I definitely think you can say I know they've mentioned it too. I feel like in terms of improvements of the team, they've made the biggest jump, obviously, this year out of any team in terms of – I feel like most of the teams have settled in where they're at. And you obviously had Alpine and McLaren kind of solidify themselves in that 4-5 range. And I feel like everybody kind of fell where they fell at the start of the season, and it's kind of where it's ended up roughly. But Merck definitely has been able to make the most improvements, so it's, it's good to see them kind of be back towards the front. Yeah, and then like like you mentioned, Alpine definitely solidifying themselves down there. And, you know, we have Alonzo and Ocon who just seem to be able – to consistently bring it home in that kind of six through 10, usually like eight, nine, seven, eight kind of positions. Yeah. And, and really just fill that gap, which is, you know, awesome to see for them that they're able to continue that fight. And, you know, they continue to gain on McLaren and uh, probably a lock for that fourth position, but yeah, you know, we'll see how the, the season continues and uh, maybe if Ricardo can start to get in that fight. And then lastly, we have Red Bull who had a really solid weekend at, you know max's home race and you know can't can't knock them for how much pace they got in that car and although we don't see it as much through perez max is able to to take the car even if it doesn't suit the track as well and uh just you know put it in first yeah he's it's the red bull team has just been continuous to get better continues to get better and better each and every week and continues to capitalize and it's, it's the opposite of ferrari it's they're not not the ones making mistakes they're capitalizing everything they can they have the pace they keep making or bringing the upgrades to the car that they need to and making the changes they need for each track they need to. And every, I feel like not every weekend, but, you know, different tracks they come and we're like, ah, like Ferrari might be favored this weekend or this track could suit this team better, but like it's always Red Bull in the end. Yeah, and that that's a good point to bring us to our, our newest segment that I think you're heading up and I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, so last week we obviously had the, uh, you know, worst team and worst, the Latifi performance of the week, right? That's the new segment for for team and driver for the week. So to recap, last week's we had, for the driver Latifi performance of the week, we had Nicholas Latifi. Naturally. And for the team Nicholas Latifi performance of the week, we had Ferrari. And so I'd like to congratulate Latifi and Ferrari again on becoming the first ever back-to-back winners of this prestigious award on the show. Unbelievable. So this week's Latifi performance of the week for the driver is Nicholas Latifi, who finished in 18th, last of the runners. He also qualified in 20th last of all the drivers. Uh, he was the only driver this weekend to get lapped at all. And keep in mind, there was a safety car with 12 laps to go. So with 12 laps to go, there was a safety car that brings everyone together and unlaps everybody. In 12 laps of Zandvoort, he was lapped. Uh, I don't even know how that's possible. Because again, we did see, and a little, another little funny moment was when, you know, Buxton said, yes, all cars will be able to unlap themselves this time, people. Didn't make an announcement like that, I think. But, Every car got to unlap themselves, and Latifi still finished a lap down within 12 laps. Uh, and then, obviously, for the team of the week, for Latifi Performance of the Week, Ferrari. Uh, it wasn't with Leclerc this week. It was with Sainz. Uh, the worst pit stops I think I've ever seen. Uh, the 12-second one might have been the worst one ever because— Outside of Bottas in Monaco. Okay, outside of Bottas in Monaco because that one lasted like 30 hours. But the— I think the signs one is funnier because the bottom one was an issue with the car. They couldn't get the wheel off the signs one they just weren't ready. And then also had their equipment destroyed from it too, by leaving it out in the middle of the road. So yeah. congratulations again to Nicholas Latifi for claiming this award with an all time performance of finishing last in both quality and the race of yep. the finishers. And then for Ferrari for claiming the award again. And like I said, and like we've talked about, I would be surprised if anyone could dethrone either of these two, 
throughout the season, it would be very impressive if, if someone's able to. Yeah, and we, we should point out, uh, you know, Alex Albon, who's Latifi's teammate, finished 15th in qualifying and 12th in the race. So, you know, the car is able to do something. It's yes. not a it's not a 2021 Haas. No, it's not a 2021 Haas. It's not even it's not even some of the worst Williams, like the 2020 Williams, the 2019 Williams. Like it's not it's it's not a bad it's not a car where I'm not saying they're ever going to get points, right? Like I know Alvin has a couple, but I'm not saying they should be fighting early. TV should be you know 10th or 11th, but the fact that every single race he continues to either make no progress or fall back is and while Albon's moving up is spectacular to watch. Yeah, and also just to mention in the driver standings, the only driver that consistently races without any points on the year. Yes, that's true. He's the only driver with any points, and it took him, I uh, you know, I don't know how many races, but it was a lot before he even passed Hulkenberg, who only raced twice. Yeah, definitely a you know quite the feat to get yeah. past a, a a driver who subbed in for two weekends. But yeah, yeah, great segment. You know, great choices this weekend. I think <laughs> those are some long-standing choices that. Uh, you know, hard to beat really, yeah. but I think we'll move into our kind of our track thoughts. I think, you know, in general, it's a very interesting track to watch a lap on with the undulations and kind of the bank curves that go around the track. But, uh, this weekend, especially we saw the flares on the track. We saw pigeons, which are, uh, you know, making their debut, I think in, in Zanvoort. And then obviously one of the probably greatest scenes in formula one outside of you know the general monaco but from a one-shot perspective seeing max drive through the finish line and the fireworks just on pace with him are are absolutely brilliant to see and and with that you know the orange flares that's going on in the crowd it's just uh just an unbelievable atmosphere yeah i think it's uh i forgot about this from last year i think they did it last year too but it is a super underrated atmosphere for a track uh, right on the beach yeah. in the Netherlands. It's all orange, which, again, I know neither of us are the biggest Max fans in the world, but it's still very cool to see. You have the orange flares, and, yeah, like Tyler said, you have you know the fireworks light up as he crosses the line. Like It's just really nice. You know, Outside of your Monaco, right, you have your night race. Like You have like Singapore with the fireworks, which are getting back this year, which looks sick always. But I think having those fireworks and seeing it at the end of the race really – it just ties a nice bow in the race for me. I think it, it, it's just a really cool ending how they actually present it and do it. And that they're able to do something like that at a live sporting event. Yeah. Always amazed me too. It would be, you know, it would be the same thing as if like at a football game, like on the field, they're like, as somebody scored a game, when you touched on, they just launched a bunch of fireworks. Like yeah. only in formula one, can you really get away with it cleanly and it like works, but I just awesome to see at that scale. Very hard to replicate. And- yeah really does make an awesome atmosphere and you know we even see during practice sessions obviously during fp1 and fp2 we had a little bit of rain here and there so that probably thinned out the crowd a little bit but every time you pan to the crowd it's just djs going crazy and the fans are all bumping having a great time so awesome to see the atmosphere around there and and like we talked about the fireworks as the winter crosses the line yeah so post track thoughts let's get into maybe some of our predictions from this weekend and i'll go ahead and start i guess so for pre-quality predictions mine were Leclerc on pole and Max finishes outside the top four and really I base this on kind of the free practice sessions watching Max have issues and Leclerc really be on form with the pace and the track really coming to the Ferraris and the McLarens and the Mercedes being able to take really high turn speeds and uh, you know just having the car for a track like Zandvoort um obviously not happening max put it on pole leclerc 
did not. And uh, yeah. just kind of an unfortunate couple of predictions there. Yeah, kind of by masking on pole, knocked both your predictions out. It was kind of a two for one. one. Yeah. So a little tough there, but uh, I, I don't disagree. I think, you know, I had signs on pole for my first one. I just felt like it was going to be a Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, and I had both Mercs in the top five. I thought that was a lock. I almost texted you and said top four or three. I felt that confident, but you know, ended up finishing fourth and sixth. I, I think, had Prez not spun, they probably would have both been top five. But, yeah. um, I mean, I just think it it felt all weekend like it was Ferrari and Merck only, and Red Bull is off the pace for sure, which was kind of exciting to see. Like, in terms of like, all right, we're gonna get a different winner this week, or we're gonna get different action. Not to see Max like fight through the field here at a or at a track that's kind of hard to pass on. Yeah, like it should make for some good drama, but it was ended up working out that it basically was the same qualifying as normal with Max, the two Ferraris, and then Perez and the Mercedes combined to finish it out there. Yeah, and speaking of your both Mercedes in the top five, that was actually one of my race predictions. So I uh, actually hit on that for the race. They were both able to make up a couple places, finish two and four, and brought that one home for me. And then. My other prediction was one Red Bull DNF, which technically no. Te- technically no, but we'll, I, we have an asterisk in this, but I'll, I'll give you a half of this because a junior t- team did DNF, Yeah, and there is skepticism around, like, was this a planned Red Bull DNF? So technically yep. a Red Bull engine did DNF this weekend. We though. cannot confirm nor deny, nor deny. Yeah. that he is a Red Bull driver this weekend. Yeah. So. Therefore, I'll take the half a point. Yeah. And then and then my podium, I had Leclerc, Hamilton, signs, which actually almost happened as well. In, yes, it almost did too. It in almost, the 3-4-5 spot. Yes. Not yes. necessarily It was almost, a, yeah, like a, I don't even know what you'd call that, like a, a lower podium. A, yeah, we'll take it. A participation podium that you could have gotten it on. The best of the standing on flat ground. Yes, the best of standing on flat ground. Yes, you did nail that. You did, you know, pretty much nail that. It would have been, if, without signs penalty, you would have nailed that. So. Yeah. Um, for mine, for my top three, I had Verstappen, Hamilton, Leclerc. So I got Verstappen right. Um, but didn't, it was close in the Hamilton, had a Merck there and got Leclerc right, had a Merck in second, but, uh, it probably should have been Hamilton. It probably should have been Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell, or some combination of those three, but because of the pits and it didn't work out. And then for the race predictions, I have Lando top five. I just thought, I thought there'd be some chaos, you know, finished seventh and probably could have been six. Couldn't quite get past Orlando there at the end under the safety car, but could have been six. I think, um, I just thought there'd be some chaos where one of those, one of those top five would crash. Or there'd be some kind of more drama where he'd get into the top five and it was a tough pass or tough track to pass on. I thought maybe at the beginning he'd get a good start and like get in a fourth or something and then just made a whole track position, but so not too far off there. And then, um, the other one I have is Yuki in the points. Another one that was close. He was in 11th up until he had the DNF and, uh, like we talked about a good, good pace from this weekend. And, you know, with, had he not had the DNF, uh, you know, maybe with that bottom safety car at the end, he closes up the, closes up the gap and is able to get in the points, but so not too far off, but didn't really get any of them right this weekend. Yeah. Kind of an unfortunate weekend for our predictions. We had a couple here and there, but overall, you know, not, not a boring race, but definitely uh, a pretty straightforward you know, start finish order kind of kind of deal there. But what wasn't very straightforward was a lot of our off track paddock rumors, and yeah. So we'll, we'll dig into some of those, and I think you know the biggest one is Piastri going to McLaren, July fourth. Yeah, July fourth. Uh, so for those you didn't see in the news, well, one Piastri's officially they won the court case. McLaren did. 
Uh, it sounded like convincingly, like it sounded like there wasn't even an argument. Like, the Alpine side of things sounded like they had a an agreement that was non-contractually binding. Yeah. That Piastri signed that they then deemed to be contractually binding. Exactly. And then it still wasn't within the time frame. So not really sure where the the confidence from Alpine came from, but uh, obviously didn't hold up in court, and, and McLaren ended up uh, securing Piastri and announcing that this weekend. And, yeah, like you said, the July 4th timeline had a little bit of nuances to it, didn't it? Yeah, a little weird. So it did come out after the fact that Piastri signed with McLaren on July 4th uh, while still under this contract with this is Alpine. this is right after right after the Sil- great britain yeah right after silverstone so literally the day after silverstone signs with uh mclaren uh apparently mclaren told ricardo this ricardo's camp claims that he didn't tell it because ricardo puts his post out then on like i think july 13th it was where he said i'm with mclaren next year like i'm still racing f1 i'm committed to mclaren and even zach brown kind of doubled down on that like yeah he's still under contract like why would we move on like you're still racing with him all this time, though, Piastri signed McLaren, and the drama doesn't really start until the end of July. So there's kind of like a couple week period in there where nothing's really said about this. Like nothing's expanded on. Like no one, I don't even hearing like rumors about it either. It was just kind of kept quiet by Piastri McLaren for several weeks. It explains a lot of the kind of Zach Brown comments on Ricardo that yeah. were a little bit questionable, and you kind of think. You know what is what is he trying to say? Is he trying to drive a wedge in between McLaren and Ricardo? But yeah, just just kind of an odd time frame to think about, and I don't think it'll get too much, you know, conversation because of that, because it's been kind of outshadowed by the whole, you know, Piastri, all this big driver deal, and and kind of that whole thing that the timeline will be overlooked a little bit. But yeah, big news and. Just kind of weird nuances to to that timeline. Yeah, just very very odd how they handled it, and you know, especially with McLaren over the past couple months being like, oh, we might bring Herta up, we might bring you know all these other reserve drivers, and I know they've complained about that too, where they just have stockpiled all these drivers and then you know decide where they're gonna go. But speaking of Herta, probably yep. the biggest news of the week for Could our be. podcast, for the American podcast, for the American people, we potentially pretty much. It's still not final, but have an American F1 driver back in the sport. So it was announced this week that Alpha Tori had agreed to basically terms with Colton Herta to kind of bring him in as a driver next year in F1, pending them waiving the super license rule. So those of you that don't know, there's like a super license associated with motorsport, kind of high level to go through it. But they, you know, he has raced an IndyCar, and IndyCar doesn't have as much valuable points as like F2 does. Um, and so like he technically hasn't earned enough points or whatever to, from my understanding to like race as a formula one driver. Um, but I think they're going to try to basically get around that by waving it or changing the rule, which I don't know why they couldn't do, but that's probably the biggest news of the week, which leads into other news, but other news, but what are your thoughts on getting an American driver probably back into the sport? Yeah. I mean, obviously exciting from our point of view. And I think from a lot of our listeners point of view, it's very exciting prospect, but you know, very interesting it's going to be very interesting to follow the next couple of months and how they handle the whole point situation. They obviously put a lot of points into the Formula 2, Formula 3 categories because those are, you know, very direct kind of funnels into Formula 1, whereas IndyCar is supposed to be, you know, its own thing, its own, you know, top-of-the-line drivers and everything. So, you know, I've heard a lot about the desire to change that system, and I think, you know, it does make sense, you know, that still one-seater open wheel racing yeah. 
And the fact that he's been there for, you know, a couple of years now and, and has yeah. all that experience is got to get him enough credit. And so we'll see exactly what the, the deals are that are going to be able to be made. Obviously, this Herda to Alfatari is contingent upon the fact that he can, you know, get these super license points, but it's sounding more and more likely that they're going to be able to, to get an agreement going. And it also sounds like there's going to be a race for Herda in Abu Dhabi. He might have to sit in for a weekend, for a race weekend, yes. to, to finalize those points and get that final experience to get over that hurdle and be signed for, for a year. Yeah, I think that would be really cool to see. And that's definitely what I saw. And I think it, it kind of leads into, and I'll kind of discuss both of them now, like the other big rumor because of this is, you know, Gassi going to Alpine. Um, and so I think it's it, interesting for like, who does he replace that last race, right? Does, if Gasly signs with Alpine, does he like, do they let Snow to race still? And they're like, I'll oh, let, you know, Gasly's done with us. Like we'll let her to race in place of Gasly for the last race or like, He's got to fill in for somebody. He's got to race for one of the two drivers. If they're keeping Sonoda for next year, do they just let him race for Gasly and say, like, ah, like, we're done with him? Or, like, what do you think happens there? Well, that's an interesting question because, you know, a lot of people have been saying that he'll potentially have to do all eight remaining FP1 sessions for every weekend leading up to that race. And that's a lot of time in a car for a driver to miss out for their own team for weekends that they're going to be racing for. But, I think you do have to put him in the seat of the driver that's going to be leaving. So I think he would have to take Gasly's car. And oftentimes we see a fill-in driver taking that kind of older driver or a more experienced driver's yeah. seat for a weekend. So I think, you know, that can happen. And it'll probably be written into the kind of contract to Alpine to let Gasly go is that, Gasly can have this as long as he, you know, misses this Abu Dhabi race and, and there's no problem with that. So, yeah, we'll see where that goes, but I think that's probably the most likely outcome for that situation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so then sticking with AlphaTauri and, I guess, Red Bull too, uh, obviously we talked about we had that very interestingly timed Sonoda virtual safety car, um, and then it came on a Twitter basically where everyone started blaming this Red Bull strategist, uh, which totally wrong. I don't, that, I don't understand that at all, like, you know, like when I did it, I was joking about, and I think most people were probably joking about like, oh, like this is, you know, Christian Horner and Helmut Marco at it again, like, you know, trolling all of us and having to know to basically like stop on track when you didn't need to. But, you know, it, it ended up like Alpha Trader released a statement like this is insulting and like categorically incorrect accusations. But like, like we talked about, it is very interestingly timed the way it happened. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, not the greatest look for them, but you know, we'll get past it. And, um, it's unfortunate that there's a yeah. lot of hate going on online, but, uh, that is the way that the world works at the moment. And it's unfortunate that that continues to happen. But, uh, you know, as long as we're racing formula one, I'm sure we'll see some very unfortunate comments directed at, at many different people. Uh, moving on to you, like you were saying, you know, a lot, Red Bull had a lot of news coming out this weekend. And, uh, one of the bigger ones that was almost confirmed, you know, Rumor-wise. I think at one point it was like, this isn't official, but like it's going to happen type yeah. of deal. It was earlier yeah. this season. Red Bull and Porsche had, had apparently, supposedly come out with an agreement that they were going to, uh, Porsche was going to be the new manufacturer of their engine unit. So uh, an interesting kind of rumor early on in the season, and now it's it's being reported that that deal has fallen through. 
and that's mostly because Porsche is coming in and really wanting 50% share of the team and want to share yeah. that that whole title deal with Red Bull, which they're absolutely not willing to do given their history in the sport and uh, what Helmut Marco believes is their complete ability to build their own power unit. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. And we've had Audi come out and announce that they're going to be joining the sport. And so, you know, we'll see where this goes. We'll see if Red Bull decides to join forces with another manufacturer or uh, where they go with that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if because Porsche's going to get in somehow. It's just, you know, what avenue do they take? Do they maybe go in with Andretti? That's the other, you know, possibility I think that could happen is do they, you know, see this didn't work with Red Bull. It doesn't appear that any other ones are going to open up. Maybe Alfa Romeo would be the other one I could think of, but I feel like, or maybe McLaren opens up from, I don't know how long their deal is with Mercedes, but that's, it'll be interesting to see like who Porsche ends up pairing with. Yeah, it's been nice that there's a lot of interest in Formula One, but at this point, you know, we have so much interest that it, it's kind of hard to see yeah. all the teams remaining on the grid and all these other teams getting in. I know when Andretti first showed some interest in the sport, there was talk of potentially adding another constructor team yeah. at the 2026 deadline when they when they do change uh, regulations yeah. again and, and start the new kind of not turbo hybrid era, but using utilizing new engines and yeah. and kind of changing their whole route. So, you know, we'll see what teams kind of get in. We'll see what teams maybe get collaborated with teams that are yeah. on the grid now or if teams that are on the grid now decide to leave. But uh, interesting thing to follow. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just awesome that there's this much interest in Formula yeah. One and that this many manufacturers and companies are having the desire to, to be involved with the sport. Yeah, for sure. So taking a look at the standing changes real quick, uh, you know, Max Stott front, Gap widens even more. He's 109 points clear of the field now. All but wrap this thing up. I think he'll have a couple races to spare when he ends up wrapping it up. And like I said, unless Rebel's car completely falls apart. But I was looking at a thing. I think this is the biggest gap. Uh, other than the 2021 where like I think Lewis is up like at this time last year like 140 or 150 to Bottas. It was something ridiculous. But other than that, this is definitely the biggest gap we've had in the championship in the last decade or so, I think, going into this race. but Or going into this number of races. But... Pretty much wrap that up, and then uh, Russell retakes fourth. Some signs, I think, we'll kind of see that continue to flop back and forth throughout the season. Yeah, he does have a thirteen point lead now for fourth, which is the biggest either drivers had in a while. Mm-hmm. They've kind of been within one point for with, with each other recently, and then outside of that, uh, not too much in terms of changes. We have you know Charles and Perez tied for second on two hundred one now, uh, and then I think the other interesting battle is that battle for seventh. Uh, Lando opened the gap a little bit more this weekend to Ocon because he finished ahead of him by four points so that's up to 16 now that's i think it's that's going to be the main one to watch the rest of the season is what you know that's the only one i think that we could really see potential change in depending on how the cars shape out the rest of the way but who's going to win that best the rest battle but outside of that you know pretty much status quo in the standings yeah it feels like we're just waiting on you know a race for max to win and then it'd be mathematically unrealistic for any other driver to take it it just feels like he's going to be wrapping this up soon so you know, we'll see how many races that takes and see if he can start to hunt down the records that we were talking about last week. But uh, let's go ahead and move into our funny happenings. And we have just a couple this week, not too eventful. A lot of paddock rumors going on this yeah. weekend. Not a ton of funny happenings. But one of the uh, funnier happenings is Yos Capito of Williams acting like Latifi can continue with the, the team. 
kind of interesting comments. I mean, both both sides are saying a little bit. Obviously, Latifi saying a little bit more because people are asking, and Latifi continues to say that he knows what he needs to do to to retain the seat in the team, and that is consistent performances because he knows that one great race isn't going to happen. And I think we all know one great race for him isn't going to happen, but you know the whole consistent performances is such a vague term because it is already pretty consistent. He's already consistent. He's already consistently last. Like there's not, there's no. I don't know why he's saying or they're saying consistent performances because I I, I get their try trying to say like better performances, but like consistent. He's already being consistent. Um. I think what they they're probably hoping for is that he can be up there with Albon and make progress during a race. And, yeah. you know, if he can show in the last eight races, like, yeah, he can get this thing towards the points all of a sudden, but where is that going to come from? It hasn't come the entire, his entire time in formula one. He hasn't done that. Like he's been consistently last this year. He's way off his teammate. If you're Williams, why would you not want to get someone that you could at least be on par with your teammate and try to build a stronger lineup? So, it is absolutely hilarious here, right? Him saying, both of them saying he just needs consistent performances because, I mean, him and Max are the two most consistent drivers on the grid right now. Max always finishes first, and Latifi always finishes last. Yeah, and it, it seems like that's so much aligned with how the paddock is thinking is, you know, he can't continue with the seat. He, yeah. he just hasn't been performing. He hasn't even been close to his teammate. Uh, it's really not helping the team at all, and there's so many different routes to go right now with you know, a lot of the Formula 2 guys performing very well and, and so much interest outside of that. So, you know, it'll be very odd if he continues with the team and, and the team, you know, continues to have faith and confidence in him. It's not like they're in need of money right now. It doesn't seem like at least. So yeah. the whole pay driver thing, you know, is just another avenue that seems not realistic to retain the seat. But Exactly. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I, it'll it'll be interesting to see, but I I'm thinking, as is everybody else, that he's going to be left in the dust. But uh, other funny moment, you know, is the Hamilton radio after they had the little strategy mishap. Uh, so he basically went on this tirade about, I can't believe you guys, you know, screwed me over. Like, there's just no. I'm trying to put that cleanly, but that's it was a very it was a very strong statement. He was obviously not happy with how it went at the end. And no, I think he felt like he had like a win ripped away from him by the team, which could have been, could have not. I don't, we'll never really know, but it's definitely, I could see where he was frustrated. You know, he was the lead car, like, and also my kind of argument towards that too, is I know they wanted to take the chance. Like, all right, let's have George in the sauce. And George kind of called himself to kind of battle and see what happens. But I can see coming from him, seven time world champion. You've been with this team since 2014. You're the one that's had all the success with success with this team. Like, why are they not making the second driver back max up, play defensive, like, so I can get this win? Yeah, and kind of funny related to that, you mentioned a, a rumor that was being circled online that he had accidentally switched a button to turn down his power mode. And yeah. really gives you kind of flashbacks to, to the brake magic in Baku. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely interesting to hear that. He does seem to have, in the last couple of years, quite a few little steering wheel issues with putting things in incorrect modes. But, yeah, it definitely was tough to see and it was it, I, I almost thought it had to be something because he was he got passed within a half a second on that straight there was no speed at all I know he had a really poor toe and like or gave them a toe and like had a really poor exit strategy for like restarting that after the safety car but I figured there had to be something wrong so we're off to Italy next week for Monza one of the classic races on the calendar so a lot of questions going into next week 
Will Max win again? Will Mercedes continue their pace? What will Ferrari mess up this week? Will Daniel have some last year magic? Will Max ride Lewis again? Can the slippery Williams slide into the points? All this and more on next week's race recap. Goodbye.